Well, today we're going to talk about heaven. And when it comes to our hopes for what heaven will be like, I think a lot of us have some common things. It's, it's not uncommon for people to hope that in heaven there will be no more pain or suffering. It's common for us to, to hope that in heaven we will meet loved ones that have gone before us. And so we have these common things that we think heaven will be like. And then if we're honest, I think some of us have some things that maybe we might be embarrassed about, but it's true. Like we have these, these kind of self-hopes, self things that we hope in. For instance, I hope that when I get to heaven, there's some type of documentation, maybe pictures, where I will be able to see how I've met people in the past without knowing it, only to become friends later in life. Like, how cool would that be if, like, in 1989, there's a picture of, of little five-year-old Jeff at Dollywood, and, and all of a sudden, there's someone else in the background from Johnson City, and I wouldn't meet them for another 30 years. And it's like, and like but then we get to heaven, and there's the picture, and he goes, there it was! Like, we're on the train together! How cool is that? That, like, we never knew that we would be friends for 30 years, right? Like, I, so I don't know about you, if you have some random things you hope for. Maybe you hope that heaven has a lot of food. Maybe you hope that heaven has a lot of outdoor activities. I don't know, but we have these hopes for heaven. Well, well, here's the deal. Um, it's not uncommon for us to build our theology of heaven around things outside of scripture. For some people, you might think of a cartoon and you're like, yeah, we'll be babies in diapers playing harps. Maybe you, you've read Heaven is for Real or you've watched the Netflix series called Surviving Death. I don't know what has shaped your view of heaven, but our ultimate authority on what heaven is like has to be the word of God. And today what we see is John gets a firsthand experience of what heaven is like and he records it for us. And so today we're gonna see that heaven is for real, for real, for real, right? So we're gonna see what heaven is truly like. So Revelation chapter four, verse one, it says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Okay, so the after this at the beginning of verse one is talking about after John's first vision. So the book of Revelation, John has some visions and he records them by Jesus's command to give to the church. His first vision is chapters two and chapters three, right? And it's these letters to the seven churches, which are to them, but for us. Now, after that, John gets a second vision. The second vision begins in chapter four and is going to run all the way to chapter 16. And this vision is a little different. In the first vision, Jesus comes down from heaven to visit John on the island of Patmos, which is a place that he's been exiled, a place that he's experiencing affliction and, and tribulation. And, and in that moment, Jesus comes down to meet with him and to give him a vision. Now, after this, starting in chapter four, the vision changes in that instead of Jesus coming down to John, Jesus brings John up to heaven. And so now John comes to the throne room of God and he gets a vision. He gets a picture of what heaven is going to be like. All right. So, so what's it like? Well, look at verses two and three. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Right, so, so the first image we get of heaven is that of a throne. Now, the word throne is going to be used 
17 times in chapters 4 and 5, and a bunch of other times until chapter 16. It's a key theme of this second vision. And the throne is meant to remind us that God is sovereign, that no matter what is happening around us or to us, that God is in control. Remember, the book of Revelation, the purpose is not to scare us into heaven. It's not to scare us out of hell. The book of Revelation is meant to encourage us to live faithfully for Christ in a world that stands in opposition to Christ. And so the throne is meant to remind us in the midst of tribulations that God is in control. Now, as we see the throne, you see some of these precious stones, Jasper and Carnelian, and, and the stones are meant to reflect the intensity of God's glory. So God's glory is shining forth at his throne, and these stones make it even more intense. And then we see a picture of a rainbow, and, and the rainbow is meant to be illusion. It's meant to draw us back to an Old Testament story. And so when you think about the Old Testament and you think about the rainbow, even kids can get this one. It's about Noah. And the ark, and so after the world is flooded, all right, and, and God begins a new creation, he shows a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of his promises and as a commitment to his faithfulness to his covenant people. And so God is promising to be faithful. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a full circle rainbow. I've seen a, a half circle rainbow, but never a full rainbow. And why that's important is because if the rainbow is a reminder of God's faithfulness to us, the full circle means that there's no end to it. It's like that old Girl Scout song, a circle's round, it has no end. That's how long I want to be your friend. Like, 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 that's why Jeff doesn't lead worship, right? But, right, like the circular, there's no beginning, there's no end, it's just continual. And so the picture of God's throne reminds us, the throne of God for God's covenant people is a reminder that he will always be faithful to us. His faithfulness, his mercy, his his grace towards us is never ending. It's a constant. And so that is encouraging for us as his followers. As we look to his throne, we are reminded of his faithfulness towards us. Okay. Now his throne is written in contrast to the throne of the Roman emperor, right? So the Roman emperor also had a throne. And for God's people to think on the emperor's throne, that would have brought about anxiety, it would have brought about fear. It would have brought about terror. Like the, to think about Domitian, the emperor of Rome, sitting on his throne would not have been an encouraging thing for God's people to think about. But in, in contrast to the emperor's throne, we have a picture of God's throne, which is not something to hide from, but something we can draw near to for worship because it's a picture of God's abundant mercy and grace and love towards his people. All right, look at verse four. It says, around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Now, as we read Revelation, one of our rule, rules that we're following is we are going to assume it's symbolic unless forced to take it literal. So this 24 elders that it's talking about is symbolic. All right? It's not literally that there's just 24 people around the throne. It's symbolic in that it's 12 plus 12. You're like, all right, Jeff, I'm good at math. I know that. Even common core, I can follow that logic. Right? So 24, but in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes of Israel. 
right? So there's 12 patriarchs over the tribes of Israel for God's people. In the New Testament, God's people, the church, is, is led by 12 apostles. So 12 Old Testament, 12 New Testament. This is symbolic to be a picture of all of God's people. So all of those who have put their faith in God from the Old Testament to the New Testament are represented by the, 12, the 24 elders, showing us that all of God's people are gathered around his throne in worship. So we have a picture of all of God's people, both Old Testament and New Testament, before the throne. And the people who stand before God, all right, they're clothed in white garments. So that is a picture of us being priests. And on their head, they are given golden crowns, which is a picture of them being royalty. So as God's people, when we stand before his throne, we do so as a kingdom, the crown of priests, the white garments. So God's people will stand before him in worship as a kingdom of priests. Look at verse five. It says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. So this is like Moses at Mount Sinai reflecting on the majesty of God. Verse six, and it says, and before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And so the still sea is a picture of, of the peace that comes with knowing that God is the one who rules and reigns. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures... Each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All right, and so once again, symbolic or literal, there aren't literal creatures with like the face of a lion and an eagle in heaven. This is symbolic. What's it symbolic of? Well, you have a wild animal like the lion. You have a domesticated animal like the ox. You have humanity with the face of humans, and then you have the highest bird. So this is symbolic of all of creation, right? So all of creation stands before God's throne and finds its greatest purpose in scribing worthiness or, or glory to God, displaying God's glory. And so when you think about creation, creation exists for the purpose of showing God's greatness to the world. And I, I love that we get to live in East Tennessee because every sunrise and every sunset is a testament to that reality that creation displays the glory of God. Right? And so as we continue on in chapter, um, chapter four, we see, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, it says the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. So, so the, the God's people join in creation and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you were created 
created, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So chapter four is all about heaven and how in heaven we will have never ceasing worship of our king. Like, so that, that word never cease, it means like we'll never stop talking about God's glory. So think about that. If someone was to, to talk about you and say, so-and-so never stops talking about fill in the blank, how would they fill it in? Like, so-and-so never stops talking about their kids. I'm like, I get it. Your kid, like, walked today. Cool. Like, my kid did, too. Like, like, or like, like or you never stop talking about this podcast. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I get it. You love Joe Rogan. I don't care. Like, 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 it's like you always talk about the podcast. Like, what would it be that if they, like, they never stop talking about? Well, here's what's awesome. When we think about what heaven will be like, the thing that we will not be able to stop talking about is the glory of God and how he is worthy to be praised, right? And so moving on to chapter, chapter five, it says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So there's a scroll, it's got writing on the front, it's got writing on the back and it's sealed, right? And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And here's John's response, verse four. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Right, so, so there's a lot of debate over what this scroll is. So I've read, uh, I've read five commentaries, none of them agree. Right, what we do know about the scroll is it contains a message from God that's very important for the future, right? For, for what's to come for God's people. So there's something in this scroll that is important for God's people to know pertaining to the future. And so when John thinks about this scroll not being opened, it breaks his heart because when he's looking at his current circumstances, the tribulation, the trials that he is going through for following Christ and his thought of not knowing what the future holds, it breaks him. He's, he's sitting there going like, will there never be an end to evil? Will there never be an end to suffering? Will there never be an end to the effects of sin? Like, is there any hope? And, and so he finds himself just thinking, is this does, does good ever triumph over evil? How will we know? Is this the final state that we will exist in? And so he finds himself completely hopeless and broken, not knowing what the future holds. And so that this, this breaks his heart, right? Now, now, what's interesting when it comes to the scroll is in Rome, during the time that Revelation was written, it wasn't uncommon for people to put together a will which is weird. Like I recently, Lucy and I took a trip down to Mexico um, last week and someone was like, do you have a will? And I was like, what? I was like, I was like, like no, like, like what if you die? Like who gets your kids? It's like, I don't know. Like, like a will, all right? So like a will. So in Rome, if you had a will, you'd have a scroll and then you'd pull it out and you would write down your will on the scroll, right? And then after you wrote down your will, which was meant for an executor to one day fulfill upon your death, they would roll the scroll up and tie a string around it. And then on the outside of the scroll, they would write, so on the inside and the outside, on the outside, they would write like a table of contents. So not full details, but just a general idea of what's contained within it. And then the person who authored the will, right, would take wax, a dollop of wax, and place it on the, the scroll to seal it, and place their signet ring in it to seal the scroll. 
And then up to six witnesses would come and do the same with their dollops of wax and with their signet rings, right? And so then that will was to be sealed until death. And upon death, it would be given to the one who was worthy to open it, who was the executor. Then the executor would break those seals, open the scroll, and to fulfill its purposes. And so we have here is a picture of God's will being sealed up in a question of who's the executor? Who's the one worthy to open the scroll? Who's the one worthy to fulfill the will of God? And it says that there's no one worthy. It breaks John's heart to think about that. But then we get to verse five. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. And so this is like the movie where, where you're, you're watching a drama and all of a sudden all, all hope is lost and you're thinking there's fully like only defeat. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the hero comes back onto the stage. You're like, yes, like he's there. Think about like Ben Affleck killing Superman, right? Like it's like, ah, Superman's dead. Like what in the world? But then the next movie comes around and what happens? He's alive, like Superman's back. Like, yes, you can't kill him, right? Like, so when the hero steps back onto the scene, and so this is a beautiful drama that's being laid out for us in the first four verses as it feels like there's no hope. Then in verse five, we hear that the lion of Judah and the root of David, which are Old Testament terms given to the Messiah or to the savior of the world, that the Messiah is worthy, that the Messiah is here. And so when John hears about this lion of Judah that's, that's worthy to open the scrolls, he's thinking in his mind of a, a powerful, courageous, you know, Simba on steroids voiced over by Dwayne the Rock Johnson lion, right? It's like, like yes, a lion. And so that's, that's what he hears about. The angel or the elder says that there is a lion of Judah. So that's what he's looking for. But what does he actually see? Well, look at verse six the tone changes and it says, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb, not a lion, but a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne." And so John is expecting to see a conquering lion, but instead he sees a conquered lamb, right? And this is symbolic. There won't be an actual slaughtered lamb before us in heaven. This is symbolic of a crucified Jesus, a bloodied Savior. But he is not slumped over in defeat because the horn is a picture or symbolic of power, and the number seven is symbolic for completeness or fullness. And so this slaughtered lamb stands in victory, in power, and in strength. So the image of the lamb is not one who is slumped over in defeat, but of one standing bloodied but victorious over sin and death. Right? And this lamb is the one worthy to take the will of God and to open the scroll. 
He is the executor of the will. And how does heaven respond? It says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. I love this. They sang a new song. Have you ever found yourself getting songs stuck in your head? And you're like, why is that there? Apparently it's called an earworm. I thought that's something you picked up in Guatemala, but it's a song that gets stuck in your head, right? Like what's an, so for me, like what are the songs that you, like you're like, why, like Disney tunes, right? Like you're like, let it go. Let, it's like, ah, or like kids songs, baby shark, doo doo. Like you're like, ah, like 80s ballads, like shot through the heart. Like all of a sudden, like songs can get stuck in our heads. But what it says here, that there will be a new song in heaven. And so when we get to heaven, there will be like a new song. So what gets stuck in our head are not silly, dumb songs that we wish we could get out, but songs that lead us to the throne of God. And it says, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessings and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Right, so I've I've been sitting in Revelation 4 and 5 and and the two images that I feel like we need to really sit in, the two images that that we need to, to let shape us as we move through the book of Revelation are the image of the throne in the image of the Lamb. All right, so as we kind of bring this home, those are the two images I want us to walk away from today, the image of the throne and the image of the Lamb. All right, so when it comes to the Lamb, what, what does that mean for us? The image of the Lamb is symbolic of seeing our bloodied Savior standing victorious over sin and death. And the image of Jesus, crucified but resurrected, is meant to ignite our hearts in worship. Like the image of the lamb is meant to take our hearts, stir our affections in such a way that our natural response is to worship the king. All right, so as as I've been thinking about that, I think we need to ask ourselves a question. When when I talk about heaven being a, a place where our worship is never ceasing, When I talk about heaven being a place that the songs that get stuck in our head are are songs of God's worthiness and where we would bow down and worship the king with all of our might, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, my question for you is, is, does that image of heaven, does that get you going or does that take the wind out of your sails? Like when when I'm like, what's heaven gonna be like? I'm like, it's unceasing worship. Like, I think some people are like, yes, 
yes, like give me the guitar, like let's do this, like boom, let's go. And other people are going, ah, it's better than the alternative, right? Like how many, like, if we're honest, how many people, when you think about unceasing worship in heaven, you're like, I mean, like, I'm not really a singer. Like that's, kind of, that's not really my jam, right? And so your mind is, if heaven is wearing robes and singing to a piped organ 24-7, like it's gonna be miserable, but at least I'm not burning, right? Like, and that, that's your response. And, and I would say, look, first to that is worship's not just singing, like worship is all that we do. And what's really cool is heaven is going to be um, a new heaven and new earth, which means like we're going to be building cities. Like we're going to be creative. We're going to be writing new songs. We're going to be making things with our hands. Like, like we're not just going to be on clouds with harps. You know, like there's work to be done, but that work is something we do as worship. Okay. So, but I want you to know that like everything that we do in heaven will be done for the worship of our King. And if the thought of spending the rest of eternity or all of eternity in worship to God, if that doesn't ignite your heart, then it could be that there's something other than Jesus that currently has your affections. Like if, if that thought for you is like, ah, it could be that something else is holding your heart, that you are giving your time and your energy and your affection to something less than Jesus, which makes it an idol. And so for us, if we want to take the imagery of the lamb seriously and, and see it ignite our hearts in worship, what I want you to do this week is to think through how you can take steps or a step to kind of push the dial in the other direction. Think about, think about your car. If you're in your car and, and like you're listening to a song, and let's say that you go to like a, a hip-hop station. I don't know. What's a good station with hip-hop? I don't know. Or let's say it's, it's got bass, like a song like that's got bass. And, and you want your car to hit. Like you don't want to listen to bass music in a, like a lame radio. You want to like the boom, boom, boom. And so you, you go to the treble, the settings on your radio on the screen, and it has like treble and it has bass. And the bass is all the way to the left. You're like, ooh, let's put that up, right? And you start pushing the dial over, right? Because you want more bass, well, more bass, right? So for us, if, if the thought of worshiping God for all eternity doesn't get your heart going, maybe that dial is all the way to the left. And so my question for you is like, this week, how can you begin to push that dial further over? Maybe it's something with your morning routine that can change. Maybe you can do something with your drive to work or coming home from work. Uh, maybe you can do something with your nighttime routine, but what, what, are some, what are some things that you can do this week? I'm not saying, hey, completely overhaul everything, but can you this week find a rhythm where you begin to look to the lamb more often than you did last week? Because the more that we begin to look to the lamb, the more we'll find our hearts igniting in worship. Okay, so the first image we want to think on is the lamb. The second image is that of the throne. The throne is knowing that God is in control of all of history. And we know that God is ruling and reigning and that he is in control, that he is all powerful and that he is for us, fully committed to us and faithful to us for all eternity. That is meant to give us courage and strength to face the day. You see, so often in life, things fall apart. Right? Like you're, you're, you're in a season where, where stuff begins to tank. And, and so my question for you is if your life tanks, if your life falls apart, what do you typically go to? Right? When, when your life begins to crumble, when you feel like you lost control, what do you typically go to? 
to, to kind of find peace, to find strength, to find fulfillment. I believe that my natural inclination is I try to go to things that I can control. Like when life begins to fall apart and I feel like I have no control, my natural inclination is to find something I can control. Like I think about how many, how many of us, like let's say you have no control at work. Like things are falling apart at work. You're like I have no control. So then you, your response is what can I control? So some people, you go to diet, right? You can't control things at work, but you can control what you eat. Like, all right, I'm going to measure my food. I'm going to weigh it out. I'm going to have the right macronutrients. I'm going to, I'm going to control this because I can't control that, but I can control this. And so you're, you find comfort in trying to control something. Or, or for you, like you can't control your kids, right? Like your kids and you're like, ah, like they're wrecking me. Like I don't know what to do with this. And, and so I can't control them and I can't, I, can't, I can't get them to do what I want them to do. And they're, they're just, ah, what do you... Some people go to what they can control. So maybe you're, you're leading in your organization and you have employees. And so all of a sudden you try to control your employees, right? In maybe a, a, a not so healthy way because like that's the thing that you can control. But here's what we need to know. When we try to control things in our lives, especially when it's in response to things falling apart, 100% of the time our control ends with us being anxious with us being disappointed, with us being unfulfilled, or with us being broken. So for us, when, when life falls apart, when we are finding ourselves in the midst of, of things feeling like chaos, our call is to remember that God sits on his throne. And when we have rhythms of looking to the throne and remembering who God is and that he rules and that he reigns, what happens is we find comfort, we find courage, and we find peace. You see, only God on his throne can still the chaos of our hearts. And so for us as a people, if, if we want to prepare ourselves for heaven, if we want to grow closer in our relationship to Jesus while on earth, we need to have rhythms of remembering to look to Jesus as the lamb and looking to God as sitting on his throne. Those images are powerful images that we want to we want to hold highly in our lives to ignite our hearts in worship and to give us courage to face the day. God, thank you for your word. As we get ready to respond, I ask that these images of the lamb and the throne would sit heavy on our hearts in a way that our affections would be stirred to worshiping you and where our hope would be filled would be filled and full knowing that you are the one who rules and reigns and you do so as someone who is fully committed and faithful to your people. God, you are good and you are for us and that is good news. So God, let the lamb and let the throne ignite our hearts to pursue you with all that we are. It's in your holy name that we pray, amen.